Hey there! The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app, and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. Yes, I am your host, Mike Domish, and thrilled to be here with our cast from the Everyday Mindfulness Show. This week's cast members include Barry Moniak, John Celio, and Bernie Shong. And I am thrilled to have all three of you on. For anybody listening right now, you can find out about each of them at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. That's everydaymindfulnessshow.com. As I start each show, I usually like to share a quote that inspired this discussion or this topic or theme. This week's quote comes from the book, The Art of Stillness by Pico Ayer. The quote is, going nowhere, as Cohen described it, was the grand adventure that makes sense of everywhere else. Now that quote is in reference to Leonard Cohen from the book, Art of Stillness, which John had recommended to me, one of our cast members today, a while back and just dove into great book, Let's take it from there. I think that's such a powerful quote, right? Going nowhere was the grand adventure that makes sense of everywhere else. Let's talk about that. This idea of stillness, of, of not having to go somewhere else, but to be here. What does it mean to each of you? The concept of stillness, what does that mean? It's one of the ends of the continuum. Decades ago, Deepak Chopra talking about the two forces in the universe, the, the glue that holds everything together and this vibrating cyclical nature of everything in matter that's constantly in motion. And our reality as we experience it is in between those two points. And I think if we get too close to either one of those, then we're, we're missing out on, on the rest of the experience. So how do you recognize that in your everyday life? Well, I think that's where practices like meditation and, and the whole concept of the Zen koan, to get the mind to stop for a moment and, and look at things from a different perspective, maybe a bigger picture view. Where am I at this moment and where did I just come from? Where am I going to? What else is going on? I found it intriguing when I studied Amerindian cultures that they would make major decisions with seven generations in mind, and it still boggles my brain. How do you even go about knowing what's going to happen seven generations from now if you can't get still enough to contemplate that? I got to stop here because I got to – how do you – I agree with you, right? The, the, the seven generations ahead of thought process, 
we're, you're on a really high level right now, which I love. I'm going to jump in here, which is it's such a different experience for me that stillness is kind of the less threatening, less thoughtful version of meditation for me. Like I don't bring anything to the table when I think, listen, I'm going to spend 15 minutes being still. There's no expectation that I'm, I'm looking at anything beyond that, not seven generations, not a certain form of a mantra. It's just that I'm going to be still and be with whatever is right there. So it's totally unpacked for me compared to what, what uh, Barry is talking about. If I could just share a quick story, and I think this is the best way that I can define stillness and how it entered in my life. Eight, nine years ago, I was working in a full-time sales job also a single mom to a very active kid in soccer and wrestling, um, drove over 150 miles a day. I don't know when I had the time to really do anything, to be honest with you. I walked fast. I talked fast. I ate fast. You know, everything was really fast paced and I burnt out. Um, I crashed and it was the fall of October, 2007. I remember this exactly. I went to my therapist and I'm like, what the heck is wrong with me? And she said, you're a very normal person. You're obviously burnt out. She says, have you learned to be still. And quite honestly, that was the very first time I had I'd ever heard anybody ask me that question. I thought it was a trite question because to me, stillness or doing nothing would equate to me being lazy or me not being productive or me not getting things done. So it really took me crashing and it took me burning out completely and feeling at my wits end before I finally was forced to confront this thing that we call stillness. And that's when I was introduced to uh, yoga, massage, meditation, and Reiki, which, you know, now 10 years later, I'm uh, a Reiki master. So for me, stillness wasn't a very easier, natural practice, if we want to call it that. It took time. And I think the circumstance sort of forced me into it. So that's kind of where I wanted to back up was if somebody doesn't quite have a stillness practice yet or they don't quite understand what it is or why we need it, you know, I'm kind of the living proof that certain circumstances take you down that road and you kind of are forced to have to learn how to practice it. And that that's scary stuff. And I think a lot of us have been there, right? And it's just a matter of, did we recognize the crash at the time it happened? Or even looking back, or did we just continue on a new journey and crash four more times over the next 20 years? You know, I think that's what happens a lot of times. We crash and we think, oh, I just took the wrong roller coaster or the wrong road and get back on and crash again. And then in two years or five, however long it takes us to get to that place, how do you recognize it now? And, and Barry, you talk about those two extremes of not wanting to be one end or the other. So how do you recognize either end? And I don't know that it's that we don't want to just to identify that there are two extremes. I think to John's point, if we can't learn how to be still, that empty stillness, at least for a little bit, for a few minutes, then it's hard to take stillness with us. But when I see people, whether it's athletes or performers or surgeons or pilots, they are in active stillness because they're able to stay focused on the most important thing that they're doing or that they're you know, encountering without letting anything else come into play. That's still an aspect of stillness. So you're saying that the zone is is a form of when you're in the what we call the zone, 
or that yes. peak performance level. Flow. That, that flow, yes. And so what you're saying is that John's stillness of quiet in the morning when he gets up and just quiet and being letting the world be still, and John on stage when he's performing as a speaker are both moments of stillness in his day if he's in his flow and zone on stage. Yes. But like Bernie was saying, if we're moving 100 miles an hour and going, oh, yeah, I'm being still. No, you're not. <laughs> you're going 100 miles an hour. So can we slow all the way down to a stop and go, wow, this is pretty cool. Now let me get going again. It, it's like someone said to me a long time ago that they were a Buddhist at heart and a Taoist in practice. And I went, God, that sounds so cool. What does that mean? Well, Buddhism was the, the art, the practice of stillness, being still so that you can experience everything. Taoism was, okay, now how do I take that stillness with me on the path of the Tao and use it to my advantage when I have to encounter all these divergent forces? And I went, okay, I think I also am a Buddhist at heart and a Taoist in practice. Well, you know, what's funny about that, Barry, is when you and I were on the ski slopes, we started talking about spirituality. And for anybody listening, Barry's an incredible ski instructor, in addition to what he does for a living. And so he was just giving me some tips. But we started talking about spirituality, and you gave me that exact answer. And it, it lit me up. I'm like, ooh, tell me more about that. So I love that because it's the practicalness, right? How do we live with this practically? How does somebody make sure that they're not spending so much time trying to be in the flow that they're not actually there? So therefore they're not in stillness, but their argument is, but I'm trying to get there. How do you recognize where stillness is present in your life and where it's not? I, I would go back to what John said. If you can't sit down and, and empty your mind and just be absolutely still for so many minutes, then you, you haven't mastered that quite yet. I don't think I can ever remember translating that into the, the practice. Like, it's great when that's what I'm focusing on, but the rest of the time I'm busy filling whatever need it is, whatever void it is that keeps me in the busyness. And I haven't felt that. I need somebody to describe to me what that's. I mean, I know what flow is and I get it, you know, at certain times, but certainly not consistently throughout my day. I don't get stillness throughout my day in, in any practical way. I don't get the Taoist side of this. I love that you're asking that, John, because somebody just the other day was talking to me. I don't remember where I was. I was like three different states this week. But uh, somebody made the comment about, are you living that belief system? And, and then mm -hmm. they referenced this. They said, or are you just meditating twice a day? And I thought, yeah. ooh, oh, oh. That's, a, like, that's a wake up call. Like just because mm -hmm. you're doing that meditation twice a day doesn't mean you're living in that space. And that that's the challenge, isn't it? Yes. I really believe that the the stillness or the practice of stillness is developing a certain mental psycho-emotional discipline. You know, if I'm if I'm in the hospital and and a doctor's operating on me, I want to know that that surgeon has the capacity to stay focused on the task at hand and not let anything else in his reality enter into what, what's happening while he's got his hands inside of me. A pilot in a plane, you know, <laughs> there's just certain things. And my guess is, John, that there's certain things that without 
maybe thinking about it, because I don't know that the thinking about it helps, but you have brought that practice to where when you're on stage, you're very focused on what you're doing and aware of the components involved in speaker audience dynamics. So that would just be my sense of you is that you probably are using it without having to put a label on it. Barry, you keep using the word focus in there. And so when you say stillness, for you, it's like a laser focus without thought being necessary. Is, is that the vibe that I'm getting? In other words, when we're on stage and I'm speaking, my brain might be moving a million miles an hour, and it is. I mean, that's just the way I'm wired. But I don't notice it. I am in a zone. I'm on a high. There are times I'm not in the zone on stage. Like There are times you know you are literally in thought, like, what's going on here, that kind of a situation. But there are times where you are absolutely in a zone and that it ends after an hour or an hour and 15. You know, like that was just amazing. And you know, you you made changes and you adapted on the flow, but you weren't thinking about it was happening. It just happened. Is that the kind of laser focus without having to consciously think of the, the laser focus? Is that what you're referring to there? I, I think so. It's like transcending that intellectual thought and, and and being more in a state of awareness. The the image that comes to my mind is the Maasai warrior that's standing, you know, a half mile or something outside of the African village. And he's standing there all night long on one foot. And his function is to be aware of everything that's surrounding the tribe. So he's not thinking about anything. He's just maintaining a point of awareness. To me, that is an aspect or an image of stillness that serves an incredibly useful function. I'm going to echo what Barry said, because this actually reminds me of Liz Gilbert and how she shared in her book about the creative genius. Actually, it was her TED talk and how she talked about the creative genius and how if we allowed ourselves to surrender to whatever we want to call it, right? It, it's the divine wisdom that's guiding us. It's our creative genius or, you know, whatever it is that you believe in, that there is a greater force that is assisting you when you're at work doing the thing that you're meant to do, right? Doing your craft, doing your work. I've found that when I've been in flow, it, and I'm going to use the word that we hear quite a bit in, when we talk about stillness, is I allowed myself to surrender. Just open your mind push away any of that, that the inner chatter or that clutter and allow whatever thought or whatever feeling or whatever intuitive downloads that you get to come to you. So for me, I call that my, you know, connecting to my divine wisdom. And the only time I can really do that is in my, what I try to do is a daily ritual, but it's not always daily. I try to do rituals where I spend at least five to 15 minutes a day, just sitting in my closet, my dark closet on the floor and just to practice surrendering to whatever intuitive thoughts and feelings want to come to me. And it's really interesting because it's in those times when I'm not trying to control the situation, I'm not trying to control what's coming to me, that I'm completely in this flow. And that's when I do some of my best work in terms of coming up with concepts for books I'm going to write or coming up with content for blogs. Let me um, add a, uh, so, can I add yep, a quote right there from please, the book? Please, please do that is my favorite quote from from uh, the art of stillness which is the thoughts that come to me unbidden are far fresher and more imaginative than those i consciously seek out mm. yeah that's it that's it that's exactly it there's a keen association i i think between stillness and receptivity that if my mind is moving i'm i'm conjuring thought 
then it's going to be really difficult for me to pull in anything new or creative. So that exercise, whether it's a few minutes a day, however we we choreograph that, I think it puts us in a more receptive state to come up with better ideas or look at things from a new perspective. I, th I think it exercises that philosophical muscle. The intellect looks at something and, and it's willing to die behind what it thinks it is. The philosophical mind says, well, that's what it looks like from over here. Let's walk to the other side of the table and see what it looks like from over there. Oh, hey, you just walked into the room. What does this look like to you? They're always open to that new idea or perspective. I think the stillness encourages more of that philosophical mindset. What I love about this conversation is that I think that when a lot of people hear stillness, they think silence. And that's the mistake, right? They think I don't have time for, well, one, it's a mistake to think I don't have time for silence in my mind. It could be a mistake. I don't want to judge that whole idea versus if you really listen to what we're saying is it's openness. It's that receptivity you mentioned. It's that openness. So could you be in a moment of stillness on the subway? Yes. Yes, you could. You might take 5, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, two hours on a subway ride and be very much in a place of stillness because it doesn't mean there's silence. It means that you're willing to be open to receptivity, to what you're hearing in the world, to being present, to being there in the now that really takes it to a whole nother level. How does this show for each of you in your relationships? How does stillness present itself in those either intimate relationships, parenting relationships, work relationships? I, I think one of the, the easier tells for me is whether it's just an acquaintance, you know, a business associate friend or an intimacy, how comfortable is it to just be quiet with someone in their presence? I love what you're saying because again, back to my sales experience, I'm no longer in sales anymore, but I actually am better um, in sales now in my own business because I'm a better listener. And I think I'm a better listener also because I have mastered the art of stillness because I have become more intuitive in the work that I do mm -hmm. as an intuitive coach. My relationships with my family couldn't have been better. Every single person in my family has told me I have become the patient one. The one people go to when they either have something to say, they you know need advice or somebody to to do a favor for them without you know yelling or arguing. And so it's really nice to see that coming from a very anxious and depressed family <laughs> to see how much this has really changed my life in terms of you know what a better listener I am and how patient I've become. So it's just done wonders for me and in my relationships. See, I've seen it show in allowing myself not to be judgmental at the same level yep. previously and or trying to own certain aspects of relationships that previously I might have, you know, so as a parent, you want to believe you want to guide and you want your kids to make great choices, but there's a lot of pairing that tells you, you should be able to correct, <laughs> you know, you should be able to fix. And so it puts you in a very different place than when stillness says, no, nope. You know, that's their choice. And they're going to make choices that do not go in alignment with what you believe or what you might have even have hoped for them at one time. But that's part of being still is to recognize that's their choice. That's their call. And be still. See what the, where this goes. Be present, fully present, without the judgment. And just listen to what the world is saying right now and understand they're making a choice. It takes it to a different place of parenting that's less guilt-driven and more freedom. I like associating the word awareness 
to stillness. For some reason, it resonates for me. So like what John was talking about, whether it's just being in that that more empty place, aware of what wants to come in or or whatever I think or feel, or whether it's having a greater sense of awareness of what's going on with someone I'm interacting with or the environment around me. I think my ability to to master stillness gives me license to play with my awareness. So where what are technique strategies? Bernie, you mentioned some very specific ones that along your journey that have been huge for you and helping you. Can we back up and go back to that? I know you said right now uh, you do yogi, sure. uh, yogi, uh, yo, you could be a yogi, <laughs> but you do <laughs> yoga. Could. Let's step back. So for anybody listening, going, but how do I, how do I take this journey or what are, I, there's no one way, right? But how are, how are possibilities? Some of the the tools I have in my toolkit, it was definitely trial and error. When I first started out, there was no way I knew how to meditate at the time. I just, you know, as I said, my my mind was going at a hundred miles an hour. So just getting myself to tr- to do it itself, you know, being disciplined enough, I couldn't. So I went to a Reiki master. And for anybody who's not familiar with, you know, Reiki, it's it's a form of energy healing. How do you spell that? Just in case someone's listening, it's spelled R E I K I. And basically, it's all about balancing the energy points in your body, which is also known as chakras. And so it, it was about an hour long session. And the woman lightly placed her hands on every seven chakra points of my, my body from head to toe. And I immediately felt like I had meditated for that full hour. And I basically was just lying on the massage table doing nothing but being still, obviously. So she, so in my opinion, when I look back at it, I realized that Reiki is a form of guided meditation because I wasn't able to do it myself at the time. So I had somebody else act as a conduit for the healing and for the meditation to take place. And by the end of that hour, I cried at one point because it, there, I had definitely had a visceral reaction to the healing. Perhaps I was blocked. The energy was blocked in me and it was a way for the energy to release out of my body. And it was just such a a beautiful cathartic release because I had never given myself the space or the time to have that kind of healing. And when I say healing, basically she allowed me to use that one hour to completely surrender you know, and to completely be open to whatever was going to happen. And obviously healing took place. I felt relaxed. I felt unblocked. I felt completely open to what was next. And I wasn't as anxious anymore. So after the Reiki session, you know, I decided to do yoga. I decided to get into meditation. I also decided to do some massage and acupuncture. So I kind of explored a lot of different healing modalities. And I just fell in love with Reiki. Over the course of the past 10 years, I've done, you know, dozens and dozens of sessions as the recipient and also as the um, healer itself. So I would say that is one way of going for those maybe who are a little uncomfortable with having hands placed on you or or touch. uh, There's also great guided meditation on YouTube, or you could buy CDs and listen to people helping you meditate with their voice or with music. So there's so many different ways, Mike, for people to, to find that peace and stillness. Well, I think you bring up something really important there, which is there's no one way. It like you, like you had the journey's been interesting for me because 
it's a matter of I've tried acupuncture, I've tried this and I've tried, and some of it just doesn't connect for me, but other things absolutely do. And that's okay. Right. I think part of the problem is people feel guilty. Like, Oh, why didn't acupuncture work for me? Cause it didn't work for you. <laughs> there's this, right. that's why. Right. And so there's something else that's going to work for you. So thank you for giving us uh, those options. John, what, what about you? Well, first I, it, one question I have for you, Mike, is what did connect for you? Because you know, I always love to hear what does work for people. You know, it it seems to me I'm I'm happy and joyed to try every new thing that comes along, but that also takes away from my stillness, right? It's just it's like one more thing that I'm trying, and I guess you just trial and error these things over time. I mean, the one time that I felt it, and I think I expressed this to you, Mike, when I told you about the art of stillness was, you know, after a medical crash, which was, you know, finding out that I had cancer, I couldn't. John, what, what type of cancer? Thyroid cancer. So okay. very okay. low level, non-threatening, and yet still it turns your life into, yeah. you know, it's, it's totally different. I couldn't do much. I actually was forced into stillness during this post-surgery period. And the thing that I started doing was, because I couldn't even really get out of my house, I'd walk out onto my my back deck, which is just like a normal, you know, I don't live in this massive place. I don't have a waterfall in front of me, nothing. But I'd walk out onto my back deck and I'd pull a, it'd be early morning. I'd pull a blanket over me and I'd close my eyes. I'd close my ears. I'd close my nose, my senses, all of it, nothing there just for a couple of seconds. And then one at a time, I would just let the sense come alive. And it might be because a bird chirped and it woke that sense up first. And then I would just listen. And then I would, uh, I would fill and it would be cold. And one, one sense at a time, it, I would wake up and finally, usually at the end, I would open my eyes. And this could be like literally five minutes, or it could be 20 minutes sometimes. And that's the one time at which I felt that connection to this greater channel of energy that that I had and that you know connected to nature and other people but keeping that practice as good as that was keeping that practice alive for whatever reasons for busyness for kids for whatever losing track of it has been very difficult for me I I struggle with the consistency too I and that you were asking what works for me I find variety works for me I, it doesn't have to be the same thing. So meditation can be very powerful for me. I, I love, I got trained in transcendental meditation and that's, you know, twice a day. And there are days that I don't, don't do it at all, but instead I zone out to music and that takes me to a place where my soul just feels clear and pure and, or I'm singing, which I cannot sing by any quality standards whatsoever, but it puts me in a place of that, that quiet stillness where everything's right. Uh, so some days maybe I do that and some days I meditate and some days maybe I do both and other days maybe I just dance and I was on a plane today and and I joke about it, but I do. I dance in my seat in an airplane with music <laughs> on. And, and I know, I, yeah, anybody who knows me would not be surprised, but it allows me to just fully feel present without all the things that are going on and everything. Uh, so I think, I think for me, it's variety, you know, and other times it might be getting a massage. I love that. I love what that can do. Bernie, you've got me interested because I think, oh, I would like to try that. Well, can I, 
<laughs> I yeah, me love too. To give you Reiki. I'd love to give you guys Reiki uh, sometime. Actually, I can give distance Reiki as well. So if any of you are open for it, I can shoot you guys an email later and, and tell you how to receive it. Okay. Very cool. And now all our listeners are jealous, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So Mike, well, well we, maybe that will be another freebie offer later. <laughs> Could I just add real quick something to what John said? Because I don't want to forget this point. John was talking about, you know, basically being at one with nature. So I, I did want to also mention that another way for people to get grounded and centered is to literally go and put your feet in the ground in the nature and be with nature. Mm-hmm. So that's another great way of also finding that stillness. Totally we, agree. We are creatures of habit. Part of our dilemma is variety is the spice of life, but what we practice becomes more formidable. And so if we do something over a period of time, like we did our ABCs, like we did our multiplication tables, it got to a point where we had developed an ability, a skill set that we could take with us for the rest of our life without having to continually do it. So whether it's a meditative process or an energetic process, if we do it over a period of time, it can become part of our natural daily routine or regimen without us having to religiously practice it. And I think that's what John's describing to to some degree. I feel that way too. There are times where I don't consciously take 20 minutes, but I felt I've been very meditative at times during the day. Because you were able to, to identify what is that state, that mental, emotional, physical state, and what else can I do to get me into that state? I, I think that's the more important thing is getting there, not how I got there. That is an awesome way to wrap up this episode. So thank you, Barry. I thank all three of you. For anybody listening, thinking, hey, how do I find these three brilliant people? You find up all about them. Just go to the cast page at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And remember, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter. And for everybody out there, first of all, thank you three for joining me today. This has been awesome. Thank you. It sure has. Thanks, what, Mike. What a blast. Thanks for Mike. And for, for organizing, Mike. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. And for anyone listening in, enjoy living a life of everyday mindfulness. Three quick reminders. One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, Reviews help more people find out about the show. Would you please go into iTunes and write a review? Doing so helps spread the mission of the show. Thanks. We appreciate you being a part of our community of vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.